Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White, and this is the science of motherhood. Hello and welcome to episode 108 of the science of motherhood. I am your host, Dr. Renee White. Thank you so much for joining me today. Before we jump in today's episode, I just wanted to do a big shout out to all of our wonderful doulas who are working so hard across Australia. I am just such a lucky person to be working with and amazing individuals in Sydney and Hobart and Melbourne and Newcastle and Geelong, um, you know, oh, so, so lucky. And we have supported over 90 families in the past three years, which is just an amazing feat. And I could not have done it without our beautiful village of doulas. So I just wanted to do a little shout out to them all because, oh man, it takes a lot to look after mamas and their families and they all do such a wonderful job. So I just wanted to name them all. It's just so lovely to work with everyone. So in our Melbourne team, we've got Amanda, Caitlin, Georgie, Josie, Kat, Imran, Kate, Samara and Jackie. Jackie's in Geelong. And in our Sydney team at the moment, we've got Maz, Anna, Serena, and in Newcastle, we've got Joanne. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, ladies, for helping nurture and nourish those sleep-deprived mamas and looking after those babies. Um, And if anyone is looking for a support system, um, if you are pregnant, if you've just had a baby and you're thinking, oof, this is tough work. I think I'm going to have to invest in some good nourishing food, some beautiful emotional and practical support. Feel free to reach out to us at ifillyourcup.com and you can pop over there, have a look at our postpartum planning sessions. You can have a look at um, our in-home support. And while you're over there, jump over to our freebie section because we have got some awesome stuff there. We've got our go-to quickie guide, which is essentially, it's like, your go-to guide for the best fourth trimester. So we've got recipes, we've got stuff to support your sleep, your nutrition, feeding. It's like, I think it's like about 40 or 50 pages of like just absolute goodness. And then we've also got our gentle cesarean checklist, which I was really lucky to work alongside Emma Watson, not from Harry Potter. (laughs) Emma Watson is a midwife here in Hobart. She's also a calm birth educator and she is just so amazing. She's worked like supported so many families with cesareans. And so together we put a checklist about, it's kind of, it's about kind of taking hold and making it your own. So, you know, a really family-friendly kind of cesarean It's about empowering you with your own birth experience and enhancing your postpartum preparations to embrace a smoother recovery. As someone who has had an elective cesarean, this checklist would have been absolutely amazing, but (laughs) I had to go kind of, you know, work it out myself. And you can hear those episodes where I spoke to Emma on episode 84 and 86 about family-centered C-sections, you know, how to advocate for yourself. And then the second part was around how to prepare for after your C-section. And it was so funny within those interviews, we were talking about the fact that, hey, actually we should probably just make a checklist out of this. So everyone can just put their pen and paper down and enjoy the episode. And that is essentially how this freebie came about. So as I said, pop over to our website, ifillyourcup.com check out our freebie section if you're looking for some extra love and care pop over to our postpartum care offerings we have everything from single sessions all the way up to 10 weeks and we can customize any package there 
So without further ado, we are going to be chatting with, this is a really interesting story. Kate Visser is a lactation consultant. She is a mama. And I learned about this again through social media, which is always an amazing place to like learn things. She is also a nurse, a midwife, as I said, IBCLC, and she's got an amazing business, milkybusiness.com, where she supports families and also mentors for other IBCLCs, which is just amazing. That is hard work in and of itself. But she is going to talk to us today about something quite unique that I knew very, very little about, which is why I got her on the podcast because I just find this stuff kind of fascinating. But essentially what you'll hear in this interview is that Kate realised that she was quite unwell and, and that she had cancer. And so it talks about her relactating story and how she went about it and just you know, oh my goodness. If you pop over to her Instagram, which is amazing, she actually documents the whole thing almost like, I think it's like week by week. And, you know, you can see all the different measurements of how much milk she was getting in each session. And it was, it's actually really, really inspirational. But in today's episode, we're going to talk about, you know, where she started, what did she do to kind of support herself? What tools did she implement? You know, hand expressing, pumping, how to manage her kind of expectations. And one of the interesting conversations, I don't know she's quite vocal about this on social media, is, you know, what do you look for in a pump? Um, what's going to help you along that journey? So it's kind of like the expert actually talking the talk and walking the walk, which is I just bloody love those discussions. So Get your pen and paper ready. If this is something that you are going to embark on, my goodness, this is the episode for you. Or if you know someone in a very similar situation, this is definitely an opportunity for a share of of this episode. So without further ado, here is Kate Visser. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Kate Visser. How are you? I am so good. Thank you so much for having me on. I so appreciate it and um, I love a good chat. Yes. Well, we are here for the good stuff and for all those playing at home, we've already had a technological fail on my part, but, you know, we're (laughs) rolling with it. (laughs) It is what it is. It is what it is. It is what it is and we're just going to keep, we're just going to keep moving. But so, Kate, I, I came across you. I've been following you for a very long time. <laughs> I love you. your content on Instagram. I think you're amazing. And interestingly, your name cropped up because at Fill Your Cup, we obviously have our monthly doula meetings and we were talking together as a group and I was saying how, um, you know, if anyone had any ideas around podcast topics or anything like that, I always like to survey the audience and one of the doulas said, oh, you need to get Kate on because she is talking about her relactation journey. And I was like, oh, my oh. God, yes, that is a fascinating topic. And obviously I have breastfed before, but I've never I've never done a relactation journey. I don't know anyone else who actually has. And yeah. so I was like, this is prime time opportunity to have someone on the podcast to talk about it. Not only, I think, given the fact that you're a lactation consultant, so you're an expert in the field, but you have a real life experience from this. Do you want to just start from the get-go? If anyone's not familiar with your story and where you're from, just kind of let us know how this all came about. And I guess, where did you start? (laughs) Yeah, it's um, it's a really big one. So there's been uh, multiple people who have come in recently on the tail end um, mm-hmm. and say, uh, like, seeing posts and there's lots of misunderstanding. And so, yes, a little bit of context goes a long way in explaining how I ended up here and what that journey looked like. So I had my, I'll try and do it as fast as I can. I have my two daughters. <laughs> We've got time. So like, <laughs> let's go with it. <laughs> I have my two daughters. My goal was always to breastfeed until a natural term. And so that looks like, you know, child lay weaning somewhere between the age of like two and a half and seven. Mm-hmm. I had this arbitrary number of like age of three in my head 
And so I made it to like almost three and a half with my first. By that point, I'd already had my second and my third, but I was six weeks pregnant with my third in goodness me, I don't even know what year that was, early 2021. Mm -hmm. I'd had a, had some surgery for a quite a large thyroid nodule that was apparently absolutely fine. Um, Fell pregnant just before the surgery. So I went back to find out the results and just, you know, make sure everything was all good. And I came back that I had cancer. So that kind of threw my world around, not only because yeah. I had my two daughters who were two and a half and 13 months in the room blowing up balloons and gloves and throwing them around. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I had to interject and say, oh, but I'm um, six weeks pregnant because they, they were starting to talk about treatment and, you know, like planning my next surgery in the next couple of weeks and what that would look like. And I was like, oh, sorry, uh, excuse, excuse me, pregnant. So that kind yeah. of threw a little bit of a spanner in the works. That baby was my third baby, my little boy, Tommy, who is very fondly known as my sunshine. So basically I spent my entire pregnancy just hoping that everything would be nice and normal. I did have surgery two weeks after he was born in November of 2021. Mm -hmm. And if that surgery was nice and normal, there was no kind of further spread and everything was okay. I was kind of given this generalized time frame to say, look, we could probably breastfeed for 12 months. It was a little bit of a fight to get to that, but I advocated okay. for us both. And so I thought, okay, 12 months, I can kind of do this. That's better than not feeding at all, which was, a re- which was the original advice that I was given that just shattered me yeah. um, into a thousand pieces. So... Yeah, I, I had that surgery when it was a couple of weeks old. The pathology came back and it was okay. So mm-hmm. over the next 12 months, I sat in this middle ground of just monitoring and keeping tabs and everything, and it was fine. I pumped a lot of milk over yeah. that time. I was pumping usually twice a day for quite a significant period of time, and I had a chest freezer, and the aim was that I would be able to give Tommy my express breast milk after we weaned at 12 months, and that would bridge the gap until I could relactate. Mm-hmm. And again, wasn't really supported in the idea of relactating from my doctors, but there Why wasn't. Why was a, that? Uh, it's a, a little bit tricky in that it's the medication that I had to have for treatment is absolutely contraindicated in okay. breastfeeding. So there's not many um, that are, but, you know, the ones that we're talking about are hardcore drugs yeah and this was one of them so I fully had to wean and be dry as a chip before I had treatment um because there's the theoretical risk that I could increase my risk of breast cancer because the drug had a high affinity so really liked breast milk so I had to be dry as a chip beforehand and ideally you know be dry for quite a while afterwards all the literature basically said you're fine to feed a subsequent child but you can't resume feeding this current one. And really kind of the information that we, you know, kind of sourced to the bottom of all of that was basically because the only way that you could continue to feed was if you relactated um, because you'd be dry for so long. So it wasn't that you couldn't feed again at all. Um, Mm. It just meant that you had to relactate. And look, not many people are interested in doing that. It's a whole, it's a whole kit and caboodle in itself. So that makes total sense. But yeah, so we had treatment um, when he was, goodness me, about 15 months old. There was a little bit of a delay due to some errors that happened, which was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had treatment and then basically following all the research guidelines that I could find, bang on 40 days after I had treatment, I started my process of relactating. And, yeah, that's kind of where, that's what got me to that. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so first of all, you're okay now, though. <laughs> we're, yeah. all, we're all in the clear. Yeah. I just need yes. to yes. I, that. Yep. <laughs> Thyroid cancer is one of the most treatable kinds of cancer that you can possibly have. Um, admittedly, it's still a kind of cancer. It's still a club that you don't want to be part of. It's yeah. still massively interrupted motherhood and this, you know, really kind of sacred, intense season of life. Um, yeah. So it was still bloody hard and I'll always hold space. I've, I've had lots of chats with other mums in my DMs who've unfortunately been in the same circumstance. So I'm really lucky that I've been able to connect with other mums who have mm. had thyroid cancer. There's probably been about five or six that I've touched base with over the last two years, two and a half years. Yes, absolutely fine. Just sitting in the ground of monitoring 
and things like that. I shouldn't need any further treatment, but just doing my five-year trek is monitoring now. That is amazing. Congratulations on that, first and foremost. I guess your your words around the fact that, you know, a lot of people just don't go back and do the relactation journey, what was the thing, well, first of all, what are the, why do you think that? And then also what is it that kind of got you over the line? I think because there's, like truthfully, I think mm. there's just so much misunderstanding amongst health professionals in general around the pharmacology and how that interacts with breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that this is a safe medication to um, to use while breastfeeding, but every drug is only in your system for so long. So I basically broke it down with pharmacists and they were my biggest support in terms of going, well, no, no, this is what the half-life of the medication is. This is how many half-lives we'd recommend based on the research. And mm-hmm. what they found was the same research that I had found mm-hmm. myself. So it just mm-hmm. kind of echoed um, and made sense to me. But the doctors that I were under, they were following their guidelines and it didn't expand on anything. It literally just said, you know, not safe to resume feeding this baby, fine to feed future babies. So there was never an expansion on it. And basically every single medication that you take either has some ability to transfer into your breast milk, no ability to transfer to your breast milk or quite significant. So this was Mm -hmm. one that transferred quite significantly through and was able to transfer through and stay there for quite a long time. Um, So that's why there was such a delay. So even though it was 40 days until I could start stimulating my breasts, I had to wait at least 100 days until I could give Tommy anything okay. that I had produced. Gotcha. So it was a re- like it was a significant time frame. Most common medications that we have are in and out of your system within a day, like yeah. within hours. So this was a very long long mm-hmm. lasting one. So I did everything I could to make sure that it was completely safe. And some guidelines said 80 days and I pushed it past the 100. So yeah. um, I went with the most conservative option yeah. for that. Just, but I think- just remind me again, why was it? Why did you have to wait 40 days to actually start the process? Was that so, the higher risk of the breast cancer? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. so just that theoretical risk that we're increasing blood flow gotcha. um, to our breast if we have any kind of breast milk, any of that drug that's still in the system, you know you know, can basically attach yeah. itself to that and because it's a radioactive drug okay, um, can yeah. cause radioactive changes to tissue and that's never ideal um, no. for normal no, tissue not. growth. So, yeah, that's kind of the reasoning behind it. So I guess my first question always is with uh, when I talk to people about their theoretical kind of lives and how yeah. that entangles with their own personal life. Had you done much research and or support of other mums on their relactation journey or was this something where you started from scratch and you were like, I am diving so deep into this research? Because by the sounds of things, you were very research-driven um, on this. Had Like, like I want to know where did it start and how did you kind of pull from those things and was it was it akin to what the research told you and what your theory told you it was going to be like? Yeah, pretty much. So I, I am lucky enough that I have supported a couple of mums to relactate and similar to that who have um, done induced lactation. So they're women who have never carried a baby before or okay. um, birthed a baby. So that's more like um, in surrogacy kind of settings yep. or same-sex couples kind of settings. Um, so they, 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 they do kind of cross over a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, relactation is usually simpler because we've already got some functional breast tissue there um, yep. from pregnancies or previous breastfeeding experiences. So, yeah, I, was, I didn't really have to think about it mm-hmm. too much. Like I was kind of like, all right, well, I'm going to hand express, you know, every two or three hours around the clock for the first, you know, like, I think I can't remember how many days I did it for, you know, like not quite a week. I think it was around five, six days. And then I'm going to start pumping. I set myself up so I could pump at night time. What did that look like? I had, you know, a whole stack of spare pump parts and I did whatever I needed to to make it work. Um, I wanted to try doing it without any kind of galactagogues, which okay. are, you know, milk increasing substances, so either herbal or medication. 
I there is a protocol that we can follow um, mm-hmm. that you know encourages multiple um, herbal ones. I'm not a huge fan of it, and there's probably only one um, that I find the most helpful, which is called moringa. Mm-hmm. And that helps to naturally increase prolactin levels. It's the one that has the most research behind it. So I did try that and I noticed a, like a very small increase to my milk supply. And mm-hmm. I think it was about two weeks in. And I just thought, you know what, I've been working really hard. By that point, it had been, goodness, five and a half months, six months since I had stopped breastfeeding so it had been a like it had been a significant period of time so I was expecting it to take a significant period of time to kind of get any kind of a milk supply back Mm -hmm. but I was still getting you know like 0.1 or you know 0.2 of a mil over 24 hours so very like negligible volumes and it got to the point where my mental health was like you know what for me to keep going I need to see better outcomes. And so that's what led me to using a uh, pharmacological galactagogue, so using a medication um, under prescription to try and help that. And I noticed such a good increase with that. So it was slow and steady. It took me a long time um, Mm. to try and get to the maximum amount of milk that I got. Um, But that was just so encouraging. Like I would, I ended up seeing volumes go up by I think some days it would be like 10 mil per day. And that was just massive for me. So, yeah, I I don't regret that for a second. And medication definitely got me over the line. But it was was easy to do. I didn't find that I had to think about it because I'd done it in my job previously. Yeah. I think that's... I think that's what um, when I speak to a lot of experts, it's that knowledge of that light at the end of the tunnel. It's like you know what that journey looks like. You know how hard it is and you know inevitably that outcome is going to come into play. And I'm so glad you touched on like your mental head space with with that because I see time and time again as a doula and supporting mums, it's that unknown and it is like it is such a wicked psychological warfare sometimes with breastfeeding because sometimes you're like oh my god this is really working and then other days you're like oh my god why is this not working you know (laughs) what is going on here and to acknowledge the fact that um that that is it does play such a huge role in the outcomes that we're trying to achieve which is to feed our children um I I wanted to know, so when you started taking the medication, how quickly did you start to see results? Because I know that there are a lot of mums out there who who talk to me about, you know, flicking over to something like a prescription. How quickly do people see results normally? They should start to see results within 48 to 72 hours, really. Oh, wow, okay. Um, like it, <clears throat> it should be quite quick. In saying that, though, there's in a normal kind of breastfeeding circumstance, unfortunately not many providers check what a mum's prolactin levels are beforehand. So if prolactin levels are completely normal, then throwing a medication at it that's designed to help increase prolactin levels it might, it's not really treating the root cause of mm. why there's a low milk supply. So in that instance, it's a little bit different um, and they might not notice a significant increase. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me personally, um, you know, I, I, I wasn't breastfeeding, hadn't breastfeeding, hadn't been breastfeeding for quite a significant period of time. My prolactin levels were definitely on the lower side. So they needed all the help they could get <laughs> to try and boost back up again. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I started seeing an increase from like the very next day and it was, you know, again, negligible. Like I kind of went from, you know, like 0.1 to 0.2 mil, 0.2 mm-hmm. to 0.4. And it kind of like, kind of doubled a little bit in the yeah. beginning. And then, uh, yeah, I'd go from like one mil to like one and a half or two mil. And then it would increase from there. To the point where I, you know, say I'd get, you know, 60 mil one day and then 70 mil the next and that kind of thing. Um, my absolute peak that I got was 200 mil in a day. Holy moly. Yeah, which was <laughs> really cool because my my sole aim in it was 
I wasn't going back to exclusively feeding. Like I didn't okay. need to make 750 or 800 ml of milk a day. You know, by this point, Tommy was not a baby. Yeah. Um, he's a little boy. He's a toddler running around. He still had milk. I think he just dropped um, his nap bottle of breast milk, but he was still having it before he went to bed. Um, okay. And that was all I wanted to make. That yep. was it. So if I, I was like, and he would even take watered down breast milk. So I was kind of like, if bare minimum I can make a hundred mil, yeah. I am going to be laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> so the day that I hit 200, I was like, I've done it. And it was just really, really, really cool. But um, it was definitely one of the hardest things I did. And I found pumping with such small volumes. Mm-hmm really disheartening as someone who's always had a really robust milk supply. Yeah. No issues pumping, no issues feeding her babies before. This was really different and really emotionally and mental health wise challenging. And so there were days where I just didn't I just didn't want to pump or I'd delay a pump. And what I'd end up doing was I would consciously decide to drop a pump. And I knew that with that came losing a little bit of my supply. Um, and I always said that I'd call it quits when my pump volume dropped below 50. So as I kind of got to that point, you know, and you know, I, I wanted Tom to get to two, he'll be two next week, but we got to like 21 and a half months, almost 22 months. And I was so fine with that. I was so fine. Like it was, yeah, I look at it on this side and go, damn, I did. I did some hard shit. <laughs> You're amazing. You know, like it was, that was monumental to even try. Yes. yes. Um, and to manage to make 200 mil. So I still, I still look at him and I still go, oh God, I wish I could have done this differently for you, Bubba. But I go, you know what? We were given a really crappy hand of cards. Yeah. And we, we made lemonade out of our lemons and he's <laughs> thriving. So it's like, you know what? We're so fine. That um, is amazing. Good. I hope you never doubt yourself for a second how amazing that whole journey has been because, as you said, just just actually starting and going, this is what I'm going to do, God, that would have just been yeah, such a huge decision to make because you know what's in front of you and you know oh. how hard it's going to be. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I want to I want to kind of go back a bit and I want to talk about what you did to actually support yourself. So I'd love to know, you know, did you were you conscious about your nutrition, you know, when you're talking about your mental health headspace, was there anything that you were doing to kind of I don't know, like a bit of self-care. Like we always talk about oxytocin boosters here mm. at Fill Your Cup and I've got like a list of things that are my go-to thing. You know, if I'm having a rubbish day, it's like, okay, what are we doing? Let's pick <laughs> off the list. What were some of the things that you think really helped with that with that journey? I think probably two things. Like I did try and get back into exercising regularly. Like I just needed an out. I needed Mm -hmm. an out that was, bless them, away from my children, Mm -hmm. um, but also just away from the pump. And that was really freeing. But second to that, I, and this is something that I share with clients all the time when we're pumping is you do whatever you need to do to make it sustainable. (laughs) Like I don't, if you can afford it, do it, buy it be it like, it's just do all the things, you know, you need a new pumping bra. Yes. You want it. Yes. You need a pumping bra to actually chuck your pump in so you can be hands-free and eat some breakfast rather than being stuck to the wall. You need a portable pump because you can't be stuck to the wall. You buy the portable pump. You do the things that flange isn't comfortable. You upgrade your flange. You try these ones, you know, like you do all the things, um, to make it work. So I was really unapologetic about that and it made Mm -hmm. it so much easier to just okay. be like, I've just, I've got this setup that was just easy. Like I'd go mm-hmm. to work, I'd have everything packed. There wasn't kind of a question about it. So it just made it simple for me. So it wasn't so much of this, oh, I've got to wash this and get this and yeah. that's not dry. So I was like, I need multiple sets of pump parts because this is the only way that it's going to work. Like I need mm-hmm. to do this and I need to do that. And this is what it is. Um, I always pumped while driving, probably not the best advice. Really? 
Always put my drone because it just made it easy. So I was just like really unapologetic. If someone's walking past the car, there's my boob out and I'm just flapping around with my pump and things like that. Um, I was, I was I just, love that. I was just so set on doing whatever it took to make it easy for me. And that's the exact same advice I give to clients is you just, if you, if it's not easy, you're not going to do it. So yeah, I would, I would prioritize it. And, you know, to the point where it'd be dinner time and I'm like, well, I got a pump. So like, I'd be mm-hmm. sitting there pumping and everyone's just listening to the burp, burp, burp <laughs> as we're eating tea. And I was like, sorry, not sorry. Like yeah. this is what it is. So yeah, it just kind of became part just of me. Part of your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. But I just knew that if it wasn't, if it was too hard, then I wouldn't yes. do it. It's, so, it's like exercise. If you make it too hard to get to the gym, then yeah. you just don't go. Yeah. 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 It's got to be simple. It's got to be easy to add in all that sort of stuff. So yeah. Did you change up your nutrition at all or did, did you just not. kind of I was so, so, so. I was so average about that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think because I, I think because naturally I am someone who has always considered what they eat while pregnant and yeah. been really focused on that. Mm-hmm. and postpartum I do, I definitely, I certainly do in the early days. And then I think like everyone, it kind of falls to the wayside a little yeah. bit. There's a point where, you know, stuff drops off and like normal habits kind of creep back in and then you're yeah. kind of like, well, this is just is what it is. Yeah. But I think I was just mindful that I was like, you know what, it's me that's going to be depleted, not my breast milk, not my baby. It's fine. Like I'm hardy. This is it. I'm done you know, what's a little bit of breast milk? Like it's not, I'm not trying to make a full milk supply. I'm not trying to grow a child here. (laughs) She'll be right. Like I was very, I was probably a little bit too cruisy about it, but um, yeah, in hindsight, like in in saying that though, like I'm, I've always been a fan of even two years into the postpartum journey with my youngest now of, I still cook stuff. I still have it in the freezer. The other day I just desperately wanted like a chicken soup with a good broth and I went, thank God for the freezer. Oh, And yes. I went to the freezer and I got it out and I just sat there going, as much as I feel like we cheat early mums in that early postpartum period by saying postpartum is for forever, it's still important that we still can actually sit and nourish ourselves. And mm. so I do try and still make sure that it's not a, oh, what's in the fridge or leftover pizza? It was like, a, I'm just going to go to the freezer and get out that chicken soup that was yep. just chef's kiss divine. <laughs> Freezers you know, are our best friends. And I, always, I always do this like tight, like a little monologue with myself and I just go, oh, thank you, Pastor Renee. Like, oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> Future she Renee is, is thanking you right now. <laughs> yes. I knew that as I was putting like soup in and I'd ordered soup from um, We've Got Meals for Mamas on the Coast. They are absolutely divine and I'll shout them, yes. shout them from the rooftops for a while. But I also had their soup as well. So there was just one day I really wanted chicken soup and I'd been really sick a few months ago. So I ordered theirs and then I eventually made my own. So I've still got stores in the freezer and it's just my go-to. There's plenty of other good stuff, but that's just my like soul food and really nourishing. So that, that deep freezer that I use to store all my express breast milk in is coming in handy. And I 10 out of 10 recommend a deep freezer for every woman <laughs> who is about to have a baby. Your standard fridge freezer is not sufficient. It's not going to cut the mustard. If nah. you can get a deep freezer. Yeah. You will not regret it. <laughs> no, you will not. Not a chance. I yeah. wish I did it earlier. <laughs> it's so funny that you talk about the meal delivery because we've got one here in Tassie called Our Mothership and it is spectacular. Like oh. they do this, it's a like a it's like a pumpkin loaf and it is oh. like it's like crack cocaine for me because I will just I will devour the entire thing like and it's so good you just like you can either just have it straight up or like toasted with butter or then I just take it to that next level and I'll do like eggs and like I'll put it on like I'll toast it oh my god Kate it's so good talking about soul food um yeah it's so so good and they've actually been They've actually been closed for a bit because one of the owners has just had another baby and they're recently just back online. So that reminds me, I need to order a pack because when shit gets busy in in your house, right, they've got like the family feed, which makes you think you're going to KFC, but you're not. (laughs) 
And the so, healthy family feeds, the yeah. nourishing family feed. <laughs> my husband travels a lot, and so I'm just like, okay, this week's going to be batshit crazy. Yeah. We're getting, we're getting one of those packs. So absolutely. Oh my god, yeah. so so good. Um, okay, I want to talk about pumps. <laughs> Oh. And I'm sh- I'm sure <laughs> from your social media, I know that you're well versed in this area, and we've already spoken about the fact that like you might in fact be like a hands free kind of gal if you're driving pumping. I would love to know, and whether you're comfortable with dropping brand names and things like that, mm. I'm totally fine with it. But what? What do you look for in a pump? Because I talk to a lot of first time mums as a doula and they're like, oh, okay, well, what pump do I get? And I was like, "Uh, well, uh." and I definitely have a recommendation (laughs) for brand. I personally, I tried the Medela. I did the hospital grade one whilst I was in hospital and it worked really well for me. And then I had the one where you just have it at home and I just didn't, find it was as efficient, which is surprise, surprise, because the price difference is like, you know, add three zeros on the end. Yes. But I think for me also, like I absolutely despised pumping Mm. and I did it in the beginning because I think I had this misconception in my head where I was like, oh, well, I need to build like a supply, like a freezer supply, because if I want to go out or if anything happens and blah, blah, blah. And then I had a very generous milk supply and then I decided that pumping was not going to be very helpful for me (laughs) because we were tipping into like that engorgement and bordering on mastitis like territory all the time. And I was like, and by the way, this is absolutely bloody awful and I really don't like it anyway. Yeah. But what do you look for in a pump? And is it going to be different for everyone? You know, like. Yeah, like it's, yes, it it certainly can be. And I suppose it's really tricky. And I haven't, I still haven't decided where I sit on the first time mum pregnant with her first baby, you know, I'd like to buy a breast pump. So I kind of still sit in that land of going, look, it it really depends on what you're going to need it for. We know that our birthing culture at the moment, we have the highest rates of intervention that we've probably ever had. Mm. That obviously has a flow on effect to our babies and how they feed. So there's increasing rates of separation and then feeding issues that kind of flow on from, you know, whether that baby's been born via an instrumental vaginal birth, uh, whether there's been kind of malpositioning from inductions and things like that, or whether it's been a cesarean birth. So it might not, might not, might not affect your baby, but it also might. And then it's also quite normal that, you know, women are in hospital. They might be having multiple opinions from different midwives and they're trying to navigate that. Mm. So even just, even in a completely normal set of circumstances, trying to navigate how to actually breastfeed a baby in a culture where we haven't seen women breastfeed babies before, um, we're older, like there's just so many compounding factors. So as much as I would love to say, look, you might not need a breast pump at all, so you can wait. There is also a good chance that they might need a breast pump. Mm-hmm. Um, worst case scenario is you buy a good breast pump and you don't need it. And that can be really annoying because it's quite a significant yeah. investment. Yeah. Um, so you're kind of looking at it going, I've had plenty of clients who've, you know, like been six months down the track and kind of going, well, I'm not going to go back to work until 12 months, you know, like, I I don't really want to give my baby a bottle of milk. I'm quite content, like baby wearing and, you know, just, you know, feeding on demand and cruising along and, Mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes they get to the point where they try and give baby express breast milk and then they don't take a bar of it. So they're kind of like, well, I've got this pump and I've never used it. Yeah. So that kind of is the greatest risk of buying a pump and not not needing it. Mm -hmm. Alternatively, you buy a pump and you don't, it's not suitable for the needs that you, you know, that you purchased it for. So you might have thought, oh, gosh, I've seen these wearable pumps and they look absolutely bloody fantastic. I'm going to get <laughs> one of those. And then you've got a, you know, you know, seven-day-old, 14-day-old baby and maybe your milk supply hasn't fully transitioned yet and baby just needs a little bit of extra breast milk. And you're trying to use a wearable breast pump, which is absolutely not designed for that point in time, we use it for occasional use when your milk supply is really well established. 
So there you are. You might have spent lots of money on a pump that isn't actually suitable for, you know, the, the time and place that you actually need it. So it's not mm. going to suit your needs. So then you might need to purchase another one. So in some ways, there's benefits to waiting until you've had your baby. Because most pump brands can ship. They, they, we ship really fast these yes. days. Like postage yes. is not COVID times. Mums will often get them within a day or two. You know, you can normally rent in the meantime. So really, I, if I had to choose a side, I'd say wait. But I absolutely understand mums who think, look, you know what, I know that I have to go back to work at, you know, like four months postpartum or I know that mixed feeding is absolutely going to be for me because I did it with my previous babies and things like that. I want to be more on top of it this time. So I want to, I want to have a breast pump on hand or perhaps mums who know that from the get go, they want to exclusively pump and some mm-hmm. do. So, you know, for those ones who go, yeah, yeah, look, have it, then you've got it. Like it's, it's going to be part of your journey, learning how to use it or talk through it while pregnant and play around with it is going to be a lot easier than when you're in that postpartum space and you're trying to faff around and figure it out. So if you've got the <laughs> chance to sit down with someone like me and we go, yep, cool, these are your settings, these are your sizes, these are all the parts and that kind of thing, it makes so much sense when you finally get to use it. Mm. So, yeah, so, like, I can I sit on both sides, but if I had to choose, I'd probably say wait, just so you know what you're buying. In terms of pumps, we... It's really frustrating because there is so much money in it. And I, similar to like your story, Renee, like most mums will see a, you know, a, a pump in hospital and they go, well, this, this looks top notch. I'm going to yeah. go to the baby store and you find one that looks similar, same brand. You go, well, this is going to be quality. And it kind of falls in a heap and mums don't get that much milk. They might work really well if you've got a really robust milk supply and you use it, you know like a few months down the track. But for the most part, I find they don't empty your breast very well. So we need to look for, I suppose, a few different things. I'm a huge fan of portability because Mm -hmm. no one likes to be stuck to a wall. No one's going to be pump. No one's going to be pumping if they're stuck to a wall in the corner. They can't play with their baby. They can't do anything. They're just literally sitting there holding flanges on, just going... for 20 minutes it's just it's not sustainable if you only had to pump every so often maybe that would do the job if that was a cheaper easier option for you then that might do the job fine but if we're pumping regularly portability is invaluable the next thing to that is making it hands-free and when I say hands-free I'm not going to say use a wearable pump um, because for anyone who's pumping to maintain their milk supply. So we're either trying to increase our milk supply or keep it the same. So that means our baby's not feeding at that point in time. And we're doing this on a regular basis. So if, you know, once, if not twice per day on an ongoing basis. So if you're going back to work, if, you know, like, you know, bubs in daycare or like you've gone away or something like that, I would recommend a much stronger motor of a pump. And so, you know, anecdotally, we kind of call that a hospital grade pump. Yeah. Not that there's any stringent criteria for that. It's a bit of a bit of a marketing sales word. Okay. Um, but that's kind <laughs> of what we're talking about. It's yeah. more of a hospital grade pump. But yeah, we want it to be able to be portable in that I would suggest it not being hugely big and bulky. Mm-hmm. And also you can use a um, a pumping bra is one of my favourite things. So mums will often want the flexibility and the portability of wearable pumps. But when I kind of talk to them about using a wearable bra or a pumping bra, sorry, and I say, look, your flanges will tuck in there. The bra will keep them nice and firmly against your breast so mm-hmm. they're in place. And then you can walk around with your pump. You might be able to wear your pump around your neck um, with a lanyard, you might be able to put it in a backpack. You might be able to put it in like a, you know, like a little bag that you wear around your waist and things like that. You know, it doesn't have to be just a pump that we wear in our bra. And if anything, you can actually do more with traditional flanges and a pumping bra than you can with a wearable bra. You can certainly bend over a little bit more, <laughs> pick up more things. So that portability um, is invaluable. In terms of suction strength, 
I cannot, I cannot stress this enough to anyone that is listening. Please look for a pump that is around 300 millimetres of mercury. Like, please, at a bare minimum. If something is like 240 to 270, I'm going to say almost as a blank recommendation, don't buy it. Like, you Is can it on do... the box? Did they tell you? Not always. Okay. How do we know? Okay. How do we know this? It kills me. Look, you should be, it should be on their website. It should be on the listing, like under details and description and things like that. Okay. Um, If you can't see it and you've heard bang buster things about this pump or someone's told you about it, email like their customer service. Okay. If it is a good quality pump with a good MMHG that's close to 300, they will advertise it. Yes, it's a selling point. It's a selling point. So recently or maybe not super duper recently, but earlier this year there was a wearable pump Mm -hmm. that I cannot tell you how hard I had to source the MMHG. I, think I saw that on your socials. Like, Hello. It was getting. Give me your numbers, please. It was getting really awkward. And then they came back with something that was completely wrong. And I was oh. like, you don't even know your product. So if that's the case, there's just a red flag for you. But it should be advertised. And a lot of pump brands do now. You might not need that high level of suction, um, mm. but it's available to you should you need it. And that's really important. Most pumps that we have nowadays, like the the overwhelming majority, are what we call a personal electric pump. So it means that you can alternate and increase and decrease the suction level of it. So that's how Mm. strong the suck is when the pump motor is going. There's not many that you can alternate the cycle speed on. And this is truly kind of what we call a hospital-grade pump. Mm-hmm. Because if we can alternate the cycle speed, we can make it faster. So we can increase the suction to it, but we can ah. also make how many sucks there are per minute gotcha. faster or slower. Okay. So that explains why some pumps work well for some women. Yes. And they don't work well for others uh-huh. because every pump will have the cycle speed preset if it's just a personal electric pump. And gotcha. some will be notoriously slow, some will be standard, some might be slightly faster. Hey, why? And t- yeah, and typically the faster we can go, the faster we'll be able to pump, the yeah. more milk we'll be able to express in a shorter period of time. Not always. Some people don't need to go super fast. It's absolutely fine. There's no right or wrong. I'm not saying mm. fast is better and high suction is better. But usually when we can alternate that cycle speed, we can find that sweet spot for every single mum. So if we can't change that and you buy a pump with a slow cycle speed, which sometimes we don't know till we try it, yeah. and we're stuck with that one. So having something where you can change the cycle speed yeah. is like a nice extra and more so helpful if we are trying to increase our milk supply or trying to maintain it and things like that. It's just a better quality pump. Yeah. yeah. So... My absolute favourite, which, like, I will just shout to the rooftops till the day I die, there's just nothing else that compares to it, is the Yuha, the one. It's what I use to relactate. Yeah. I was very kindly gifted it by um, Rach from Yuha, and it was a pump that I'd previously recommended, and I was like, I cannot wait to try this thing out. And it has an MMHG that goes up to 360. No one's going to need it on that, but it, it's got that available to you. You can use collection cups, which are similar to wearable pumps. Mm-hmm. It's just the cups um, and it connects to the main pump motor. It does have the option of changing cycle speeds. It has a manual mode that can be entered in, so it's stock standard, and then there's a the manual mode. So it's just absolute chef's kiss for me. <laughs> So when I have clients and I'm talking about hospital-grade pumps, like very commonly Spectra will always come up and their pumps are workhorses. Their S1 is portable, bit big and chunky. Um, that's kind of the biggest downside but absolutely personalised so you can change cycle speeds, you know, yeah. change, change vacuum levels and things like that. 
But for some mums, when they've got other babies, they're like, I can't walk around with this thing. Like it's that's, just that's right, isn't it? It's not doable for them. So even though it's an absolute workhorse of a pump, and it's made to probably last for longer than a U-Har is in terms of getting the job done, having that portability, still the quality, and meeting the needs for right now. Oh, Yuha wins through. So I, I was going to say, get... I've actually never heard of Yuha. I mean, you I need my... to have a look. I'm just looking at it right now. Yeah. How long have they been on the market for? Like, I, I'm six years postpartum. So I'm yes. just wondering. Oh, solid, I... solid. Oh, I think if I would, I would undercut Rach from Yuha by saying a few years. So I'm going to say four. Okay. But it's, it's been a, yeah. It's an Australian brand too, which I love. Okay. Established in 2020. There we go. There you go. So pushing four. Good. I would have said three and I was like, I'll oh, push it to four because I have always undercut someone. So yeah, great. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And their customer service is absolutely bloody faultless. And that's something that I really value as an LC because if I can't support a client, I want to know that I'm going to say, look, if, you, if you're not sure of something yes, you know, in terms of parts or settings or whatever it may be, email. Like I want you to jump on social media, email, flick something through, and I want to know that they're going to be cared for and, you mm. know, supported and, yeah, you is just spectacular for that. They and look like, amazing. Yeah, love the, absolutely love their pumps. Absolutely quality and cannot fault them. I even yeah. like the little digital display thing that they've got. The little, yeah. um, like the actual, that's I'm assuming it was the motor where the motor is. Sorry, everyone. I'm just looking yeah. on the web. <laughs> <laughs> I'm online shopping, she says. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. I'm loving that. If I, if I had to, if I could only suggest a single pump, that would be it. And if mums wanted to be more hands-free, I would suggest using collection cups for them. Yeah, I can see so. their cups. They actually look comfortable. Yes. Like, yeah. Collection cups would be a good idea. Not, and not going to, I would never recommend them for relactating or in that early postpartum period or anything like that. But, you know, like down the line when your milk's well established and you are just, I don't know, going out to dinner with friends and you're like, oh, I need to pump and you don't want to have to have flanges with your nipples hanging out in the tunnels. Yeah. You can pop those. It's a little bit of coordinating. I'm never going to suggest that we just pop them in because we do need to center our nipple in the middle. So it's a yeah. little bit more pull out your shirt, look, see center, and then get it going. So it's not quite what you will see on social media, <laughs> uh, but it's a little bit more discreet. It's like those burger ads. You're like, it doesn't look like that. It does that. not look like that. It's a little <laughs> bit more squished and melted and flopped. Yeah. <laughs> And sometimes it makes it to your car hot. <laughs> exactly, exactly, <laughs> on a good day. Hey, I've got a couple more questions, Kate, before we're going to jump into our um, rapid fire. My first question, I think, is, and I know the answer to this, but I want to, it's almost like it is that light at the end of the tunnel. Did you bring your baby back to the breast? Was I, that the, like? Yep, yeah, I did once. I did. Yes. Once. There was once, there was once, uh, he, cause he, 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 he was refusing absolute breast refusal and I never expected him to, but yes, we had one feed where I used the last of our donor milk with a supply line. So I literally used a nasogastric tube mm-hmm. lined up against my breast. He was fast asleep. I'd rocked him to sleep in the chair. He'd had half a bottle of his express breast milk, snuck the dummy out snuck a boob in I think he refused the nipple shield I took the nipple shield off and he was it took him a few goes and then he was fast enough asleep he got on and I started syringing milk in um I started yeah plunging it through the syringe down the nasogastric tube that was alongside my nipple and he sucked and he fed and it was a once off and it was I was like you know what this is it. Like I knew that that was our last, like our very last feed. And I knew that it was going to be a one-time only thing. Um, mm. But yeah, he did. He did once and it was just incredible. That's so beautiful. I'm so glad you got that moment with him. Cause yeah, it's, I, I still remember my very last feed with my daughter and it like looking back, you kind of look at them and you think, 
I don't know about you, but I was just so worried about what she was going to be like afterwards that, you know, that typical mum thing where you kind of don't take stock of what you're feeling and how you're going to cope with that void afterwards. And, oh, man, I just remember Mm. walking downstairs and just bursting into tears. It's just like, oh, my God, what is going on? And I think I'd kind of... I'd kind of catched with him about the fact that, you know, the feeds are dwindling away and things like that. But I don't think I was ready to actually say it out loud. Like, okay, this is it. This is going to be the last one. And then I had, you know, prepared myself. Okay. I was like, okay, this is it. It's happening. Because as you say, they're just, they're so full of beans and she was just not interested anymore. And yeah, it's such a big experience. The big change, the big yeah. season. Yeah, yeah, definitely. My last question is, and maybe for people listening, and you've probably already touched on it before when we're talking about surrogacy and, and same-sex couples, but is there ever a time when it's too late to relactate? No. None. No. Okay. No, never. <laughs> hope, never. There is hope, everyone. Yeah. yeah. In, in theory, we say that the longer the amount of time it's been since you last breastfed, mm-hmm. um, and so this, this, this is, you know, like purely speaking for people wanting to relactate, um, so they've carried a baby before. Yeah, the longer it's been from when they've had any kind of breast milk until when they relactate, we kind of rec- we usually say it's going to take about that same amount of time. Okay. So if it's been five years since you've had any kind of a milk supply, and then you want to relactate, in theory, and I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't you suggest this. this. <laughs> I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't exactly say it's going to take five years, um, but we know it's going to take quite a while. Yeah. And to what degree, like how much milk we're going to be able to make. We also don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's part of the discussion that I make when I talk about induced lactation or relactation is it's not so much about the volume. It's about every other good thing that comes with breastfeeding mm-hmm. and small amounts of breast milk. Breastfeeding at this point is well beyond just breast milk yes. as a substance and there's so many other reasons why we're doing it. So that's something that I really encourage families to cling on to so even if they opted for bottle feeds for other feeds, you know, so be it because they're able to provide, you know, however many um, breastfeeds throughout the day or they might be using a supply line for every single feed and some of that has formula or donor milk and then they're able to make a small milk supply themselves so they're getting their own antibodies through milk and they're able to nurture their own baby at the breast in a biological way. So it's, yeah, it's about so much more than milk. And yeah. in anyone else, depending on how old their baby is and what they do, there's absolutely no reason why we can't, say, use a supply line with a breast milk substitute at the breast from the get-go. You know, mm-hmm. I had to obviously delay, you know, uh, giving any milk to Tom, so it was even longer with him away from the breast, which was part of the drama. But for anyone else, you know, if a baby's willing to latch, there is no reason why we can't get them to latch and feed them with a supply line. Yeah. you know, from the get-go and then continue to work on relactating with pumping in between. So it's a really big journey, but truthfully it's never too late. There's been grandmothers who have relactated for their grandbabies. So, yeah, yeah I'm never going to put a time limit on it. It's more so about talking about the reality of what that's going to look like and mm-hmm. timeframes and volumes and stuff like that. Yeah. There is hope, people. There is always, hope. Always. I love that. Okay, let's jump into the rapid fire. Are you ready? Hit me. <laughs> What is your top tip for mums? Oh, go gentle on yourself. Always, always. You, you, this is regardless of what baby number it is, you've never mothered this baby before and you've never been this mother that you are now before. So we're always changing, always evolving, always learning. You can't know what you're meant to know five years down the track. You just know what you know right now. So be gentle with yourself. That's really beautiful, Kate. No one has ever actually said that. <laughs> It's a really, really beautiful. And I think, yeah, I love that it's acknowledging that you're a different person each and every time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I see that all the time with breastfeeding families. I go, you, you, you haven't breastfed this child before. And I'm not going to act like I know what to do because I've never actually met you or this child or the two of you together yeah. before. You are so unique. Um, so we kind of need to respect ourselves in that moment and just, yeah, 
take it mm. easy. Do you have a go-to resource, whether it be a book, a workshop for for mums to be? Oh, oh, good one. Um, my absolute fallback-on favourite, which you know, there's, there are plenty of. Others. I know. I feel like people get really nervous with Ooh. these questions because they're like, "I don't want to leave anything out." <laughs> there, I could, I'm going to leave out so many incredible resources like I just think Rachel Reed I just want to preach that woman till the end of the days um (laughs) I love her work but my I think something that I read pre-children and then read before birth Mm -hmm. um again with my own babies was Birth Skills by Juju Sundin and Sarah Murdoch and that just helped shape how I dealt with birth and Mm. my body and the confidence in it. So it's still something that I find really practical to recommend to families leading into birth. Um, And I find it quite different because it really comes from a physiological, you know, like, you know, making changes to, you know, in yourself to adapt to the level of, you know, kind of pain and where your labour's at and things like that. Mm. So I absolutely love it and I've used those skills for all three labours and can't fault it and love it. That's awesome. I love that. Put that in the show notes. Last question, and we borrow this one from Brene Brown. What do you keep on your bedside table? Oh, <laughs> nothing exciting. Um, <laughs> I, have a, I still have a white noise machine because I'm still in the throes of parenting. That's okay. And I end up with three children in my room every single night, three yep. for three. Yeah, that's it. And maybe a hair scrunchie. That's about it. <laughs> I love it. Someone, someone once Nothing. said dust. Dust. <laughs> you know what? If you look closely enough, that would probably be me too. We yeah. all have dust on our bedside yes. tables. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I just, my hat is off. Like you are amazing. And Thank you. I hope that you never doubted yourself for a second. I'm sure that you did because we all do, but Lord, you have done such an amazing job. And I think it's, without sounding like really cheesy, it really is an inspiration to others to see someone do it because I know that a lot of people probably want to and they just are like, oh, my God, where do I start? This is going to be so hard. But you've actually demonstrated exactly what to do. So thank you for that and thank you for sharing um, all of that with us today. Oh, no worries. I know, like, I, I I felt really lucky being, like, having lots of mums, certainly just in my inbox um, on Instagram, who were considering relactating and things like that. That was just really humbling to be like, oh, you know, other women who'd, who'd, who'd actually gone on to, to do it and try yeah. and, or who were already doing it and I felt like I was a support. Like, that was just... Social media can be an absolute grade one arsehole some days, but it can also be... <laughs> The most <laughs> magical invention ever. Yes. And in that kind of a situation, it was just magical. Like it's been yeah. such a privilege to share that. Like not always pretty and easy, but, yeah, I think I've just, yeah, I, I never found it hard to share. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a really open person. I'd, I'd much rather share it and it help one person and yeah. make me look like a fool to 99 others. Um <laughs> You know, but yeah, I was... love that confidence. My God, where do I get that from? <laughs> do you do you sell care. that? <laughs> <laughs> I I think I was just born with an extra don't care gene or something. Like I just you know I'm not. It's yeah. It's, I I, I kind of realized I was like it's just it's not about me. You know, it's just it can help someone else. And the more that you see it help someone else, and yeah, that's what that people tell me. To keep that, doing it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, where can we find you, Kate? Where are you hanging out on socials? What's your website? Tell us all the things. Uh, www.milkybusiness.com and on Instagram, unfortunately, Milky Business came up to some cow page. Um, So I'm I'm Milky Business Lactation. I've never been able to secure that handle, damn it. So Milky Business Lactation it is. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm around enough. You can't miss my little breastfeeding toddler picture. And I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm a little, little, little uh, more absent these days, but I'm still there. I'm just a busy woman. So, are you doing um, LC support as well? Where are yes. you like locally? Yep. So, central coast of New South Wales. Um, but in saying that, I do do telehealth yeah. throughout the entire country and the world if I if I'm needed. So, I, and I do lots of stuff regarding 
pumping and weaning via Zoom because um, I, I get it. Like it's really hard to find that really good support yeah. on those kind of topics. Um, but otherwise face-to-face on the Central Coast is my home and where I'm at. So I do clinic-based appointments at the moment and I do do midwifery care as well, but primarily... Yes. Primarily so, lactation um, work. families can get a rebate as well. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So up in, any anything, any appointment during pregnancy up until six weeks and six days postpartum, um, I'm able to do an automatic Medicare rebate, which is just sensational. Mm. And if women have private health insurance as well, depending on their cover and who their insurer is, they might also better get a rebate through them. So it just, yeah, it just makes it a little bit more affordable. I feel like LCs and insurance and Medicare rebates is a whole nother episode. Oh, that... different kettle <laughs> of fish. I'm just like, ooh, do I go there? Yes. <laughs> I'm not even really across it. I just know the, you know, I know enough, but it's a, it's a can of worms. Yeah. So, yeah. It totally is. All right, then. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know that you've got a skedaddle because you're a busy woman. But thank you again so much, so much, so much for your time and being so vulnerable and sharing all of that with us. You're absolutely bloody amazing, Kate. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Love a good chat. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, till next time. See you. Bye. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services including our postpartum in-home care and our fill your freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.